This is the Registry Podcast. Welcome to the Real Perspectives Podcast, where we explore the visionary minds shaping the future of the commercial real estate industry. I'm your host, Vladimir Bosanets, and today we have a special guest with us, Ryan Ware, the president and co-founder of Vantis. Vantis is a leading company dedicated to the integration of off-site construction solutions. They understand the challenges faced in implementing practices that differ from conventional methods. At Vantis, they believe that the construction industry has remained within its comfort zone for far too long. Ryan Ware and his team are on a mission to accelerate change within the construction industry by challenging conventional mindsets and creating a better built environment for all. They are committed to improving construction through lean principles and the integration of innovative construction methods and technologies into project planning and execution. And part of our conversation focuses on the improvement that the industry needs to consider way upstream into how professionals are trained and educated about the design and built environments. As a trained architect, Ryan has a unique perspective to share in this area. So naturally, our conversation takes us into ways that can help us break free from the status quo and build with engineering value in mind, rather than simply following what's comfortable. It's time to change. It's time to move forward. So without further ado, let's welcome Ryan Ware. Ryan, good afternoon. How's it going? Good, good afternoon. Glad to be with you. Where are you? Where do we find you today? Um, I'm located just in East Bay, north of uh, Berkeley in Oakland area. Uh, where I live. So, excellent, excellent. And um, the summer's coming, so I imagine um, uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, interesting things going on in the Bay Area. Uh, any any sort of uh, plans for you know working more from home or working less from home? Where <laughs> it's sort of a, sort of a loaded question these days. But I, I I do like to ask folks just to sort of get a sense of kind of you know um, how they're evolving with that whole uh, you know process if you will yeah you know what's interesting is I'm, I'm from the midwest so summer in the bay area is a puffy jacket and a cap um so every night taking a walk i'm freezing and when i go back to ohio where i'm from uh it's like humid and shorts and you don't want to be outside so summer is a myth uh that's right <laughs> for me here living in the bay but um you know it's interesting uh, whether we're um, working from an office or, or remote, we have projects over the country. We'll we'll discuss, but like we've we've done a lot more remote working in pre-pandemic, uh, but but a lot of it is that we're on project sites. So right. you know, I end up in multiple cities, and the moment I can work from home is where a lot of things can happen. Versus going to an office where it's uh, it, it's a little different experience and what you're trying to do collaboratively uh, with a team. For sure, for sure. So, Ryan, um, as an introduction and kind of you know an overview, a little bit of sort of you know you and your firm, uh, you know, tell us about your your path through this industry. Tell us sort of what what you do. Tell us what Vantis does, and kind of how you got to this position that you hold now. Yeah, um, <clears throat> try to go quickly through some of my youth, but I I've had this crazy notion of being in architecture and in, uh, inside of construction my entire life. Um, from from a young age, you know, five and six sketching, constantly drawing, uh, constantly messing around with computers at a young age. Um, father taught me to draft, I, the building blocks. It, it, it's just been um, always ingrained in me. No one in my family 
uh, came from the industry, <clears throat> but my, my father was a foreman at a factory and he kind of taught me how to use different machinery and, and I was constantly uh, wanting him to <laughs> sit at a table with me and be like, let's draft this floor plan out. Let's build this building out of these blocks. And he taught me a lot of the language. Um, so that, that kind of got me through, you know, the K through 12 experience and, and took architecture in school and in high school and drafting. And then, uh, in the mid nineties, I, I found yeah. myself, I wanted to go into architecture right away. Um, my father lost his job when I was 18. Um, and I decided that I would go to a local community college and do design drafting and, and focus on direct digital manufacturing, kind of start to understand part of it was to, to really grow up and to get a lot of the foundational courses out of the way, um, at a lower cost before, cause I knew I would have to work full time. Um, during all of my schooling. Um, but I ended up learning a lot in two years of kind of drafting school, uh, CAM, direct digital manufacturing. That gave me that foundation to step into architecture school uh, at Kent State in Ohio. And five years later, um, after a torturous summer program uh, that I had to take um, to, to kind of get through each of those years, um, I ended up um, graduating from Kent with a Bachelor of Architecture. I began practicing architecture at different firms, whether Charlotte, North Carolina, um, small towns in Ohio, back to Columbus, um, eventually becoming licensed and being an associate partner um, at, at a larger firm in, in Columbus. I then knew that foundationally I wanted to kind of shift gears. I wanted to, I could see gaps in the industry and I said, hey, I want to get into into areas of either subcontracting or working for a general contractor in pre-construction and tried to help um, between the language barriers. But I also was very interested in prefabrication. And that's where I ended up kind of colliding into companies that do a lot with prefab and found myself doing that for a couple of years within another business, ended up working for a manufacturer uh, and then found myself out in California Okay. Uh, with this current company. So that's kind of the history. It's a lot. I yeah. Guess. I, it tells me I'm older, which I'm now the old guy in the room. Um, <laughs> but, but, um, it was, a, it was an interesting path to kind of go from, uh, you know, drafting and technology and, and through architecture and then into, yeah. um, into actually and, running a construction company. And you mentioned gaps, you know, what, what was it in the industry? You know, how, how did, what, what were the gaps? What, what was the thing that you identified as, oh, this is an opportunity. I should try to go and pursue it. Yeah, I think it was, for me, it was just this, um, this area where architects were focused on, you, you know, what they needed to do to get designs done uh, through um, those processes with a, with a client. And that most of our delivery models were design, bid, build, Kind of approach there was less collaboration between uh architect and contractor but what i started kind of falling in love with in my in my 20s and early 30s was was bringing in subcontractors bringing in the general contractors yep. and brainstorming during design of of what it is my intention was for uh, you know the ultimate con context of the project and what was constructible what was actually doable and they got me thinking about different methodologies uh, of building. I was old, I was familiar with uh, precast or other forms of prefab, but it was it was testing it and trying to speed up the build process, opposed to um, 
being very linear and being like, hey, we'll do our job. Uh, now we'll kind of collide and we'll come up with a number and then we're going to hand it off to you and you do your job. I wanted to see this ability of how do we do it together? And that's where design build kind of became uh, this passion for me. Yeah, but, yeah. And it, and for me, it was, you know, pre-construction planning um, from a contractor standpoint, it was that they the gap on the GC side was or developer was they only they knew what they knew they didn't they didn't necessarily know what how architects thought or what what processes that they were going through so I thought I could help bridge that gap of bringing an architectural perspective into the construction industry and and start to look at it as a as a pre-construction director or or that area and you do that obviously on a daily basis today so with Vantis tell us tell us a little about you know how what was the genesis of that company and how different is it from what you typically see in the kind of you know construction industry today? Yeah, so um, Advantis, we we launched in 2019. We were a division of another company uh, in the Bay Area, a larger um, company called One Workplace, which has a little different history than ours uh, in the construction. They're from that that furniture uh, um, kind of early planning of furniture and development of, of corporate furniture. In other areas, um, and then we can talk more about that. But we launched in 2019 off of a division um, into this uh, standalone company owned by them, and our <clears throat> we we kind of wanted Vantis to be to stand out as its own brand, but mainly because we were focused on solving industry problems. We want to really kind of take a step back and and understand like while the industry says hey we have a labor shortage or a skilled trade gap in labor shortage what can we do to address this um, utilizing prefabrication or other forms of technology um, advances was really um, an opportunity to try to bring in different skill sets um, from what our parent company was doing um, right. and also try to to take on not just subcontracting work, but also the, the opportunity where a client wanted prefabrication and there weren't, you know, another GC or larger just didn't want to come in. We were able to finish that project um, for that client. So it gave us a, a kind of these levels of services we could provide while looking at the challenges of the industry um, that we all face and taking a little different approach and putting that risk kind of on our plate and yeah. saying, we'll help guide you through your journey of kind of learning those things. Yeah. What's interesting about, as you're describing your your sort of, you know, journey, your path kind of through uh, not just your education, but how you came sort of throughout the industry, um, you're describing basically, you know, a um, role that, you know, is you know, very inclusive in many ways, right? So even though you were trained as an architect, you sort of took those skills to kind of construction and, you know, um, manufactured stuff, right, to now um, help companies solve, solve um, you know, these gaps or their own, you know, issues or, you know, problems. Um, your path maybe contributed to that, right? And and I know I know there are probably a lot of things, you know, along the way that you could probably say, hey, that could have been done better. Before we jump into that, I'd love to sort of hear from you what worked. Like, what what do you think in your background and sort of your kind of, uh, you know, journey from, you know, elementary school and building blocks with your dad, 
right to to this point you know what were the things that that were that were successful in getting you to where you are today yeah I think it's funny you take back through stories of your youth and the things that you at the at the moment you're like that didn't really mean a lot and then during life you're like yeah that kind of made me open my eyes to something yeah, else right. um my dad had a had a work ethic about him i mean he was midwestern and um you know there were to me it was kind of like brought up but there's nothing you can't do um and there's nothing that you, you know you always do something for others is kind of his mentality and what i started realizing is there are things in schooling that i didn't want to do but you had to do and i started realizing like um you know answering questions silly questions on to on, on exams whether it was biology and i have no idea you know science right you answer something and you're realizing that the professor is reading your your answer which has nothing to do with the, t the actual answer he wanted but you're going he can't prove me wrong <laughs> like he's giving me points because he's saying like hey that um even though even though that's not what i wanted i can't tell you that you're wrong and it made me start to realize like, hey, there are just like black and white answers to some things. And things are not absolute, through, right? They're not absolute, exactly. Yeah. You want you want the curiosity to build. So as I got into into working um, internships in college, I, you know, it was for me, it was all about constant learning, constantly being curious, constantly wanting to learn. Um, also, you know, taking a perspective of like, that's not my job, right? If somebody says that's not my job, I look at it like I don't really care if it's not my job. If it needs done and we don't have the resource to do it, I'm going to jump in. So whether I was working at the precast plant when I was younger doing drafting, learning about, um, you know, really prefab in those those areas, I would go spend my Saturdays. This is, you know, I'm the cool guy on campus. Saturday is going out and measuring the cracks in the precast with someone else because I wanted to learn and understand, like, what does it mean? What are all the jobs that you have to do in order to get precast out? Or, you know, jumping in and building websites for my first company or doing newsletters just because I needed to and then starting to do, right, you know, business development. It was all about for me that. I wanted to learn it all. I started learning how to do estimates because there was no one else to do them. I was writing my own specs because there was no one else to do them. And, and, and what, you know, for me, it was like, well, I look around and it's me, like who else is going to do this? So start to learn. And, and I always joke, I say, I didn't have the web, you know, there, it didn't exist when I first started. Sure. Even if it did, it was, it was very limited. Uh, I went to a library in the office and pulled catalog off the wall and picked up the phone and tried to put a building together that way. Right. <laughs> it's like, it was a difference, um, a different time. But I think without that, you know, curi curiosity or willingness to kind of just do it and knowing that sometimes I, you know, I'm going to make mistakes that right. my bosses were willing to say, you got to learn. And the only way you're going to learn is by trying it. Yeah. Um, and, and a big part of this is, as you know, you're describing it, I mean, you know, these are your personality traits, obviously, right? And that's, uh, I think they would be very helpful in any industry, I would argue. Um, do you think that, you know, the industry itself, and by the industry, I don't necessarily mean, uh, you know, construction or architecture, but also, you know, 
education, academic industry, if you will, right? Do you think that 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 they encouraged that? Do you think that was sort of you kind of uh, you know danced between the raindrops, if you will, and <laughs> sort of figured it out and made it kind of happen? But you were also somewhat you know different in that way. Um, is that encouraged? Do, do you think that worked, or that just sort of happened to work because you you had a different kind of uh, you know you know personality about yourself? Yeah, I think we're getting better as a society to try to you know whether it's in teaching like we're trying to teach the next generation slightly differently the way we've learned mm-hmm. um i would say like during my time growing up and 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 even in the early 2000s standardization became this thing like we like we want to make us all the same we learned how our parents learned how previous parents learned and i think that's a real challenge for kind of getting out of a rut because we are creating, I mean, everyone says it. we're creatures of habit, but we like as humans efficiency, our brains actually like to react to things that are constant and right. just, we want that efficiency in the minute we don't feel it, we become uneasy. And the thing that I learned very early on in my youth that I wasn't like everyone, I didn't conform well. Um, I don't like to conform. I probably push a little more than others did. Uh, I'm the middle child, you know, so I'm the weird one in the family, <laughs> right? So there's all the things start to add up as, as you go through it. But I didn't like being told that you can't do something, you know, as right. whether it was baseball, because I couldn't what I, you know, I couldn't hit off the tee, but nobody ever tested to see if I could hit an actual throwing pitch until later in life. And when I realized like, it wasn't I was bad as T-ball. I couldn't, I can't golf today. I can't hit something that's standing still. I like things to be in movement and in motion. Um, but it didn't stop me from like being like, you know, hey, I'm never gonna do this again. Like the, you know, they said I was terrible right. with this or that. It actually drove me into this, like, well, maybe I'm just not them, right? That I'm, I don't have to conform, I don't have to be like everyone else. And there are times when, yeah, you gotta follow the rules, but you know, at the same time, it's like, well, what can I break in order to move something forward? Yeah, right, right. And I think many times you have to. I mean, I think even in, in you know, even in our business, you know, we sort of try to break things and kind of take it from a different point of view. I did not come from journalism. I did not come from, you know, real estate. And I think the reason we've been successful over the last 17 years plus is because, you know, we just looked at things a different way and said, you know, why not try this way? Um, what do you think, um, you know, conversely didn't work? And I know this could be a, an answer you can probably go on for a long time. So I'm going to try and you know, keep us here, uh, yeah. you know, limited. But but some of the big things that you could identify and say, you know, this was this is just not the way it's going to work in the future. And that's going to sort of set us up for my next question, which will be, how can how can this be better? But but I'd love to hear kind of first, you know, what are some of the big things that you think just don't necessarily you know add up to the way that 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 the industry works today, or you know gets people ready for what they need to know? Yeah, I think what if you're asking what didn't work and when I tried something in my past, um, I think no, a, more I more more like in this sort of institutional way of doing things, right? I mean, I think you know we all make mistakes, we all learn from from our mistakes. I'm, I'm less sort of you know interested in that, more just in terms of sort yeah. of 
how the institutionalized way of passing this information knowledge, right, about the whole AEC industry uh, is, right? And, and could it be better? Yeah, yeah. I, I think one of the biggest challenges in our industry with learning, and this goes back to some of the things that I went through, you come out of you come out of the university and you you got your bachelor of architecture you got your construction management and you go into the job force and it's like you you think you and everyone else hey you should have learned everything you need to know to like go walk off into the job site and and be able to do this and you're not even i mean you're not even close to being ready when you come out of it and we have to the the challenge is if we just you know, put people into positions and we make it about job titles of this, the next job title is, is really where you're going to learn. It's like, well, that's not the case. You actually aren't learning from a job title. There's project-based learning and people will argue against that. There's problem-based learning. There's all ways of learning, but you have to enhance your abilities by trying it all. Like you, it isn't your job title. Your job title tends to be a barrier it's it's looking at a project and seeing the problem in front of it and saying hey we're going to try these things and we recognize that our processes now may not match that sure but that knowledge is huge to know like hey this is going to feel different but i think we tend in the industry to bring on younger generation and bring people into the mix and we expect them to know certain things and i think sometimes when you're younger, I remember these, like you sit and wait for somebody to tell you what to do or you don't know and you're afraid to admit it. I want the environment to be like, go ahead and admit that you don't know. There is a ton I don't know and I'm willing to admit it. That's actually part of our learning process, but don't put the project at risk or others at risk by not being willing to to admit that. And I would tell the next, you know, the younger generation says, where they, you know, I'm a little older now, like, don't be afraid to admit it. Like we, th- there's a lot of ways like Google it, right? Like, but also let's, let's have dialogue about it right. because we, we have to be willing as leaders to understand that there will be mistakes made sure. and that, you know, and we want the next generation to, to take risks yeah. and be willing to take it. Not, not in a sense of someone's life risk, like there are safety protocols. It's, willingness to try a new method, willingness to, to take, to take a different path than you had uh, on previous projects in order to learn. Yeah. Um, and, so. and I'm curious when you said, um, you know, when you get out of school, you're, you're not ready, right? I mean, you're ready, but you're not ready. You're sort of ready to kind of take the next step, but you're not necessarily ready. Is it, is it experience? Is the foundation that's getting learned in school or that's being offered to you to learn, you know, um, outdated at this point then? Is it, you know, uh, maybe that's a sort of a very big question. I don't yeah. know. But but I am curious, like, you know, is it, is it should, it, should it be more practical, right? Yeah, and I, I mean, I think universities can can only take you so far. It's four, maybe six years, what, what you're in doing. Let's, let's pick architecture, right? So gaining a bachelor of science, gaining a bachelor of architecture or a master's, like it's, you only have so long to learn. Um, there's only so, so much dialogue you can actually have. And to be honest, there's no, there's limited real world sort of experience. Everything's a little bit in the theory 
but most universe, like I look at Kent state as kind of one of the leading ones and they're, they're combining construction management alongside interior design and seeing these things kind of happening together and they do projects together. Um, they're also, you know, looking at industrialized construction, robotics, 3d manufacturing, um, other different methodologies. I just think that universities, we have to expect as, as the, the graduates begin to come out, like we have to, we don't want them to sit and say, what's my career path or, you know, uh, what's my next title? It's giving them foundationally ways to learn, whether it's project-based learning or access to, to learning, or, you know, we joked about a little bit earlier, like the architectural world and everyone else has CUs that constantly go out and, I don't think that's the right way anymore. That's my opinion. CEUs aren't. And, and, and that stands just, just for audience, that stands for continuing education continuing units. Continuing education right? units. Yeah. yeah. Continuing education units in order to maintain a licensure and everything else. Well, it doesn't really make you better at your job right. if you're just sitting right. in a corral at AIA watching uh, another presentation on roofing insulation or, or glass. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. We. We want to see this, you know, the generation being able to be curious about experiences that, you know, looking at alternative methods that actually, you know, are more sustainable or or, or helping solve some of the the shortages and trade labors that we may have uh, in the industry and being willing to put those onto a project, yeah. um, knowing that they only know what they know and they're going to learn some things along the way. Has the industry um, attempted uh, to do more apprenticeships? I mean, that's certainly a popular way of, you know, teaching folks to learn things, you know, in parts of Europe, for instance. Um, I think Germany comes to mind when you think about apprenticeships. Um, maybe other Western countries do it too, but I am curious if that's something that anyone's ex exploring. Yeah, I, you know, I think um, I have had a chance to go to ENR and Future Tech uh, here in San Francisco. And what I did enjoy from uh, the Carpenters Union is they're not fighting the technology. They're actually beginning to create these experiences for the trades, you know, the tradespeople to go in and learn about BIM, to go in and learn about uh, different types of technology that can enhance. They're looking at them as tools that these aren't things that are going to you know, replace you. These are things that are going to make you more efficient and yep. more effective on your project. And I respect that a lot because they are tools and we as humans are just supposed to either, we use AI to aggregate data, take that data to make better decisions, not be afraid of it yet. But um, there are some scary things that can happen. But we're really looking at like how, you know, do you want to send a human around a project site that's tough terrain and just taking photos or is a robotic dog doing that to get the data back to the humans to start to decipher and figure out where the project's going? Because we're the ones that know how to build. Um, I'd rather enhance the human yeah. <laughs> side of things. Right. And, and that's <clears throat> what's encouraging from the Carpenters Union. When it, you know, I think when I think about architecture and construction, it, it takes a lot of individuals and individual teams and individual companies under individual contracts. Like you just keep stacking it. It's like a pyramid effect till you actually have all the parties involved that are going to take to build a space and or a building. And if each group is 
looking at their own risk and own margins, it becomes very difficult to say to a client, we want to try something new. Um, how, do, how, do you, how do you learn on the job if no one's willing to pay for learning? And how do you encourage, you know, a, a team or a company that says, hey, we're willing to pay you for training, but it's like through LinkedIn learning or through these other sources, but we're not going to pay you to train on the project where we know we're going to lose margin if we're paying you that way. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I'd rather pay for the training on the project sure. than just saying like that margin would have paid for training somewhere else. It's just, we're going to use this job as a learning experience to try something yeah. new. What's interesting about what you just said is you said the carpenters union um, is uh, really kind of looking to adopt things. I mean, when you say carpenters union, you're thinking about a group of folks that is building with you know probably the world's oldest material, right? Um, and the word union sort of you know doesn't kind of you know conjure up thoughts of anything kind of modern. It's more like a you know sort of a construct of maybe a hundred years, hundred fifty years ago, right? When um, when when unions were sort of maybe even more you know prominent, right? Um, and they're the ones that you're highlighting as as the as the group that's actually looking at innovation, um, which is very sort of interesting. Um, this is a good segue into into my next kind of topic, which is, you know, the last three years have really turned everything upside down. Um, we don't need to talk about COVID. I mean, that certainly was maybe a catalyst of this change, but certainly change has happened in every industry, right? And you mentioned, you know, the Carpenters Union is kind of looking at um, kind of advancing itself into into the next, you know, millennia or whatever, right? Um, what, what else is evolving? Who else, are there any other sort of exemplars of, of, you know, industries or maybe, you know, little parts of the industry that you see really, really, you know, transforming and understanding that everything will be new now? Yeah, I, I think the things that I really started this convergence, right? Industrialized construction. So that is this overarching idea of you know prefabrication is a part of it but it's it's construction and manufacturing and robotics yeah um construction tech a you know uh, additive manufacturing the one you know the one area uh manufacturing is big prefab has been talked about you know um, for a long time and it's not new right? a lot of people think it's new but it's hundreds of centuries old, right? It's just now this convergence of technology and the factories. Additive manufacturing is the thing that sort of excites me the most, um, not just in construction, but right across across the board for all of what, industry. What, what is it? Can you can you help <clears throat> us understand what, what, what it is? Yeah, additive manufacturing, so 3D printing. So you have additive and subtractive, um, really kind of the two components, but 3D printing is what a lot of people will call it. Now, I've seen there are companies out there in, in a lot of it's, you know, in, in Europe, um, some is occurring here in the United States, but 3D printing of facades or components within a building. So company out of out of Tennessee is, is going through 3D printing. Uh, it's all robotics and they're able to make into all parametric design um, any shape or form for uh, building facades. Uh, they're partnering up with others who have done building facades um, as, as well. So they're seeing this as, as growth opportunity for them. 
all the way to 3D printing, you know, small uh, ADUs and or housing um, to full buildings. And it's, you know, just getting started. So concrete is one of the easiest things to sort of print, right? Which is just, it's this giant printer on a project site printing on the shapes and the forms and doing the insulation and how the tool, tool marks go. There's a long way for it to go. Um, but the fact that people are willing to give it a shot now, you know, codes, uh, to inspections, to material mixes, and concrete isn't always, you know, great for the environment either, but there's ways that we can combine studies on, on carbon neutral um, situations for concrete uh, uh, and combining that with additive manufacturing or material science. And it, it can, we can begin to accelerate that change. Um, there's still a lot of people on the job site. They're, they're just in a safer environment. It's, who wants to, you know, with drywall, who wants to go sand drywall, right? Who wants to pick up a sheet of drywall? Um, you know, who we want the, those on our project sites to come home safe every single day. You want them to have longevity life, not breathing materials that we don't want to breathe in the office. Why would we want somebody in the field? So we have to continue to test in those ways to get a solution that um, meets code, meets material science, meets sustainability requirements, safety requirements, not only for project sites, but also for the occupants inside. That's only going to happen by us continuing to do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you see enough momentum? Was this, were the last three years enough of a sort of push to make some of those changes? Yeah, I think... You know, it's funny because the acceleration, but I think these changes have been slowly happening before additional technology had, had kind of come into right. place right. in the scalability, right? So it really boils into scalability. But I think I think the last three years, because there's not enough housing, um, we continue to fall short on the amount of housing. Um, we're running, you know, skilled trade labor is short. You can find people, but every industry is short laborers that you know where are we going to get them from (laughs) how are we going to to continue to answer um the questions of of what we're building and how we're building um i think i think the thing if you flip from housing to corporate or interior builds the thing that it accelerated i think the most was we got to stop sort of predicting the future (laughs) and we have to learn to live within within the present and, the, and where we're at um, within the office confines, but designing and building in a way that allows us to, you know, be more agile into, into the types of spaces we're in. I think that, I think it made us start to think differently of like, yeah, we got to stop building permanent supportive structures on the interior because it's going to go through constant life cycle changes into how how can we be comfortable with knowing that we don't know what the future is? Right. Definitely accelerated that acceptance. Um, and there's still a lot of people stuck on, I'm afraid to make it, I'm afraid to make a choice, which puts me back to the 25 year old sitting in the office, like who's afraid to make a choice on a project. We in the, the real estate industry and owners, they're afraid. And it's like, we have to be able to say like, 
we're always going to make mistakes. We're never going to know the future, but you got to make a move. (laughs) Yeah. You got to try something. Ryan, do you, do you feel, um, that your perspective, do you feel that, you know, your ways of kind of looking at things, um, and you know, you're sort of joking around that you're the older guy in the room now, right? Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm of your generation. We're sort of, you know, the Gen Xers, right? Um, I am, I'm curious, you know, are, are others in the industry kind of seeing the same thing or is it coming from a younger cohort that's entering the industry? Do, do you feel like they're pushing for change? Um, um, and how fast and how, you know, quickly do you think it's, you know, going to happen? And, and by change, I also mean not just how things are done, but also how knowledge is acquired, right? How their experience is shaping what they do and also how you do things, right? In terms of, um, you know, like you said earlier, you're not just doing one portion of it and hand, handing it over to another group. Like there's this integrated approach. Um, how do you think that's coming as this new group of, you know, younger folks are entering the industry? Yeah, so just, I'll start with kind of the, which generations are sort of pushing change. And I, I do think the generation X, right, which is what you and I kind of fall into, we're, we're we've gone through our youth and kind of learning, uh, tripping and falling. And we continue to do that as Gen X is sitting here leading companies. But I think there's a lot of us that are kind of in this, in in this range now across the country that have grown up with the same conversations happening for, you know, 45 to 55, you know, put in a Gen X's ain't rage group, right? Like we've been hearing life on repeat and we're kind of like, Hey, we're leading the company now. Let's make the change happen. We've been talking about labor shortage my entire life. It's been well documented that there weren't going to be enough teachers, uh, truck drivers. Like we just knew that there that was not uh, there just wasn't going to be enough labor. I think we're looking at it as a generation like it's our moment to start to make a change to build companies that are looking at different ways to build that aren't settling into you know that you know let's be honest success is often a bad teacher. Um, because if you stay into that rut, eventually something's going to upend it. And for us, it's like, we know what's coming. Let's start making the shift. And I think there are a lot of people, um, out there who are kind of leading these charges who believe in prefabrication. We don't believe that technology will solve all issues. We don't think prefab will. We think it's a combination. It's a, it's a hybrid, right? Like you have to. You have to understand each of these components in order to put together a project. Um, but I also think what what I what I want the younger generation to understand is we actually we want you to learn differently than the way we were taught. We were often force fed the same details. We grabbed the same set of documents. We went through <clears throat> iterations of design and learning exactly the way we had done it before, without really ever any curiosity we went from hand drafting uh to cad to to revit um they're starting off in three-dimensional bim you know they're yeah that's yeah. their career right um but we need them to understand like that tech that software isn't going to solve all your problems like right. you have to be hungry enough to like get out to a job site you have to 
go out and understand, like ask questions of the skilled trades, what would make their jobs easier? How, you know, sometimes we try to separate all, all the groups and be like, no, you only do this, you only do that. And the reality is like architects, it's their concepts. It's their, it's their, their artistic ability to come up with what, you know, what does it look like and feel like based off what information they get from the client to meet functionality, but without giving documentation to the skilled trades and those building it, you're going to have a mismatch on the goals. Yeah. And, and, you know, we are responsible as designers for a lot of things that do sometimes happen in the field because we're giving sort of that instructions book, which is the contract documents defining what we want. And I think, you know, we need, we need them to, you know, the next generations to constantly be curious. We need to give them more opportunity to learn uh, than I think we have, have had in our past. Um, it is a different world now with technology yeah. and, and these yeah. robotics. I, I never, yeah. I, I wasn't young with a robot walking around, you know, robot dog on a project site or, right. or robot printing, printing the layouts, right? Like this is, this is sort of the environment that they'll know. Um, but if they're not, they got to be willing to ask, uh, you know, upper management or leadership for those opportunities, not for the next title, not for that next yep. thing, but like, yep. Hey, I would like to do this on my next project. I understand the risks involved, like do your homework, the risks involved, have the dialogue with your leadership, tell them why you would like to look at it. What problems does it solve for the client? Um, and be curious enough to at least test it yeah. say like, I'm not going to, you know, perfection is not the bar which to measure this against. Right. Right. Um, it's like, let's set a new benchmark because the current benchmark isn't working. Um, that's what I'd love to see. You know, yeah. Um, no, I, I think you're hundred percent correct. And I, you know, one of the best lessons I learned in business school <clears throat> was this notion. If you want to be an entrepreneur, go learn, be curious, you know, learn how to manage a budget, learn how to manage people, learn how to run, you know, you know, PNL, create a product, all of that other stuff. And I think on many ways, in many ways, you're describing sort of a similar kind of thing, you know, you know, express this curiosity by learning, right? And and know that this is going to help you get to the next level, which kind of leads me to the next sort of, you know, question I wanted to ask you, which is, you know, we mentioned this notion of uh, apprenticeship. Uh, you know, mentoring is a form of apprenticeship, I would argue. Um, maybe there are other forms of that as well. How how would you structure that? You know, you know, today are you doing that today? Um, and and is there is there a good way that you think this could be accomplished? Yeah, so there's a couple ways. There's mentorship. Uh, I've heard sponsorship. You know, we're in. Because there's, you know, a combination of uh, males and females in our company. We 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 want diversity. We want different ways of thinking. We want um, each one to to have their opportunity and career paths. Um, mentoring is one way, right? I've always said I needed a mentor, and that was usually someone who even wasn't in the industry, but something I could bounce, you know, things off of. Um, versus the sponsorship of you know, giving, giving, you know, I like to give my team enough um, information to let them go. And, and don't, I, I'm not one who enjoys being micromanaged and I don't like to micromanage. I don't think you scale a business in that form. 
you have to give them safe zones to to come out and say you know you want them to understand like as a mentor or a leader like you can talk to us about anything don't hide the challenge that you're having or the struggle that you're having on a project because it goes from a small fire to a large one um but you want to ask questions have more dialogue go through five whys ask the question and have them come up with the solution rather than us giving the solution that you know as i mentor it's always like you want them to be problem solvers and i think it was elon musk says i I just want to hire a bunch of problem solvers and that's kind of the way i look at it each project is about solving the client's problem that they're setting forth and construction every time it's like what's the constraints of the project what problem am i going through and if you're missing information in our industry you're you're the one that actually has control and i want them to know like start asking the questions and you know as you know and you'll learn each time like oh i should have known that or i should have known this but like most of the time you'll know is like it's still okay to ask like just just feel free i you know you mentioned you asked the question about what could be done differently i do think that we in the industry whether it's it's the aia it's um you know agc or other other areas within construction um we should create something more like a curiosity building experience for people in the industry opposed to just locking in licensure into ceus right Uh, like you know go read another article right to get your ceu go sit through another you know lunch we're not willing to pay you for (laughs) that the manufacturer has brought in right I think we have to be willing to um, invest when our margins are tight and utilize, you know, utilize manufacturers, utilize people in industrialized construction or other areas to help invest in these experience opposed to those CEUs and lunches and getting things published to get, get the next generation like inside of, you know, the factories or learning to build um, on uh, in a different way that will actually accelerate, I think, the amount of growth. It makes them feel less fearful of that risk and more like, yeah, this is something I want to try because I see the value that it brings on the other side. And it's not just a does it cost less sort of question, um, but it has multiple different values that it can give um give the client as well as you know as well as you know globally like climate change you know whether it's affecting the climate in a different way than the way we are now the way we're building so this way of um you know looking at things and applying kind of your your experience um maybe looking at things slightly differently, maybe kind of pushing the envelope on sort of how things are done throughout the industry. Um, tell us about, you know, how you do that with Vantis. Does it does it help you? Do, you? do you find like there's an application every day or every month or every project where, you know, here's how it's helping me. And here's actually, you know, maybe even an example of, of how, how we've done this. Um, that's kind of, you know, um, gotten us to, you know, achieve a better, you know, a better result. 
Yeah, I, you know, primarily when starting, we were very a little bit narrow, kind of on the launch. We stayed in sort of this this one area that's focused on tenant improvements, that's focused on interior prefabrication, um, and our jobs, the way we saw it, was to you know go out and work with the project teams on. We, we would have a process, but we would integrate that into theirs to help them along the journey of understanding what it takes to utilize prefabricated assemblies on the interior space. And, you know, as that, we started seeing uh, more success with that. It was, okay, let's start to look at, you know, the housing market and think about what is, you know, full volumetric um, versus kit apart sort of design and approach and how does that go? But, you know, backing up, we've, we've been able to sort of look at projects. And, and for us, it's even though, you know, sometimes it's challenged. We're not in control of it all, whether it's healthcare or corporate. We're doing projects, you know, from, from New York down through Florida all the way across the country. There's difficulty in being into the national side of it. Yeah. You can't control every narrative. Uh, you can't. You can't see everything. The project teams are constantly traveling, but we've, you know, we look at it and, and it's constantly like, well, what did we learn? What processes are, are do we need to focus on changing? Um, what, what processes does the industry need to be looking at? What does the fabricator need to change in order to, um, to make this more scalable? So we've been able to pull back and say, let's keep testing with different manufacturers. We have multiple interior manufacturers that we utilize. Each one is different, but we built different models with them to find out um, which one works best and which one is most scalable, um, not only for us, but for them um, to address the client's needs. So I think for us, it's getting that curiosity. Like we want people to understand like, you know, every project's different. Every uh, client's gonna be different some things are going to remain the same. It's your job to use your, your curiosity of, should I try this now? Should I pull in uh, this manufacturer? Should I attempt to, um, to add any sort of technology into the process? Do you also look at folks that have this mindset? Is it hard to find people with this mindset? Um, do you feel generationally that, uh, it, it's a challenge and, and I don't know, I'm just kind of, you know, curious as, as you see people coming through the industry or into the industry rather, right? Um, are you able to identify the ones that sort of have this knack of kind of curiosity and pushing things and um, as annoying as it might be at some times? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, I don't know if it's generational. There's, there's, it really boils down to that personality and I think a lot of times it could come from you know, their past, like, did they try something in the past and they were reprimanded for it, right? Like, there's a difference between what I think is a successful learning experience because we tried something and someone else's perspective of like, well, that was a total failure, right? And it's the same project. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, yeah, I have, I tried to drive towards, yeah, but that was the first time we tried it and what did we learn and what came from it and how did we improve from it? Um, first, you, you know, when I do have those on my team that are actually, you know, some of them may be older than me and some younger than me that they have the mentality, you know, their mentality is like, 
I'm going to keep trying things. Like we want to use prefabrication. We want to push it. And then at the same time, older and younger, that um, very consistent. This is how I've learned. I'm going to keep doing this. Um, and, and I think sometimes you, you know, even with those that, cause you do want some people like to, that, that, that do focus on the thing in front of them because you need them to learn to build, but you want them to understand that the tools you're giving them, whether it's internal technology, uh, to enhance their, their abilities, you want them to almost see it for themselves. Like here's the advantage just like you would with an architect or someone else, like here's why we, we build this way <laughs> not, and not doing what others are doing or not, not attempting to just, you know, stay in that, Hey, we've always been successful with this. So we're going to stay there. It's, it's, you want them to come to terms kind of on their own. And that's the thing I learned really often is like, you can't force people. There is free will, their choice to do something. So, you got to just put enough in front of them that, if, you know, eventually they'll get there, but if they're still doing a good job, as long as they're not upsetting the yeah. cart, yeah. you're, you're good, right? Yeah. They're still doing something that's valuable to the company. Yeah. As sort of my final question, um, if we were to have this conversation, I don't know, 10 years from now, what, what do you think, what do you think will be very different? What do you think might be the same? <laughs> uh, I joke that I'm, I'm hoping, you know, 10 years from now, we're, we're printing buildings uh, uh, on the moon. I actually told somebody once, like, you know, I want to I want to be building, um, you know, docking station for flying cars and stuff, uh, which is where it gets a little crazy. But I, I'm, what I'm hoping is that we're not having dialogue about uh, really a shortage of trades labor. Yeah, it's more of a dialogue of. Um, you know, we have we, we have started to accept, we have made the change. Uh, people are coming home safer, you know, every single day. We're living in safer buildings. We're, um, we're addressed, you know, the housing market has been addressed. Um, and that, you know, the reality is with material science and, and AI and additive manufacturing that we're able to, to, to come up with building materials and, and things in the way we're, we're, we're working on projects that is far less, you know, extracting from the planet, right? It's far less um, detrimental to our environment and, and the planet. Um, I always say, like, I think we're, it costs way too much to build exactly what we're building today that we built 20 years ago. Nothing's really advanced. Um, but it's, it's really cost. I mean, it costs a lot more. And I'm like, I want to see the cost of construction actually decrease, but the value in what we're giving clients and end users and the world, I mean, everyone that sees it, something better. And I'm, that's what I continue to drive for, you know, personally. And that's what kind of Vance's mission is, is to keep educating and helping others along with the journey of moving the industry forward that, you know, we can't do it alone. We want to, we want to be a part of it and we want everyone to jump, you know, jump in with us to help make that change. Otherwise we will be forced to change and that that's not comfortable either. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. This was, um, very informative. I, I enjoyed learning more about this and, uh, stay well. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. 
That was another episode of the Real Perspectives podcast, and we thank you for taking the time to listen to it. Conversations like these help us comprehend our evolving industry better and hopefully provide a perspective that helps you understand the dynamics of commercial real estate. If you like this episode, please subscribe to our show and tell your colleagues about it. That is the best way to spread the news and help us remain relevant across the industry. Cheers. Cheers.